Hey movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 118, and for those of you out there, those lucky Snyder fans out there, this is going to be a very Snyderific episode, um, as we've got a lot of Snyder-related news, and also, we were going to be talking about our favorite video game characters in honor of some Last of Us news that came out, but I kind of wanted a break from our usual best of, worst of rankings, and have a discussion because Michael at the end of the day loves discussions more than anything else so I figured we we could have a discussion about the man the myth the legend that is Zack Snyder and love him or hate him there's something about him that really divides people either you love him or you hate him so I kind of want to prod into that of why is that so much like more so than any other director I've ever seen it's such, such a divide so I kind of want to evaluate both sides and kind of let's break down Zack Snyder. And if this does well, well, we'll break down other directors. But I don't think there's any other director quite as divisive as Zack Snyder. But uh, before we get into all that, Michael, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me back on. It's uh, great to be here once again. And uh, nice to see more movie news. That's always encouraging. As We, we had a lot this head, week. Yes, as we try to head into uh, a rebirth of a, of a new era uh, for movie making and movie news. Well, uh, Michael, are you watching anything good lately? Uh, yes, actually. So I, I couldn't wait. I had it all ready. So I, over the weekend, I was texting you about just some some things, and I had to go back and rewatch Eagle Eye, which you know, yeah, came buddy. out in two thousand eight, I believe. Wow. And man, that was a great movie. Michelle Monaghan and uh, Shia LaBeouf, and now the director really hadn't directed anything good. Ever can you do you actually know who the director of that movie was? Uh th- I should because I just passed uh, Eagle Eye recently, like right before we were recording. I was flipping through the Voodoo seat was on sale as I do every week. I want to say Jan de Bont, but I can't remember off the top of my head. No, DJ Caruso. That sounds like a baseball player. Yeah. The uh, so let me give you some of his filmography. Just to just to kind of throw that up there, like, well, it's like, is that just a one-off? And I almost thought it was a one-off. So I am number four. E. Well, your uh, buddy Dan likes that one. Yeah, I don't understand why. Uh, the Salton Sea. Um, and if we were to go even further down his IMDb page, uh, how about Triple X: Return of Xander Cage? Josh uh, likes that one. Josh has a soft spot for Xander Cage. Okay. How Disturbia? Disturbia. Okay. Uh, the Shield. Uh, he directed uh, 80. Uh, he was one of the directors for four episodes of The Shield. Again, that's one of his main credits. Uh, and he directed one episode of Smallville. Uh, and <laughs> I'll probably get there. Other, yeah, he I'll did a lot there. of other TV, but yeah, it's he doesn't have like a lot of fantastic movies, but Eagle Eye aged so well. It was a hidden gem. So I had, had to rewatch that over the weekend. And then I watched... Uh, a certain portion of a show called The Night Manager, which came out in 2016. It was a uh, it was a prime. It was on Amazon Prime. It stars Hugh Laurie and Tom Hiddleston. Uh, it's very very strange. It's, it's an odd not, combo. Yeah, not that great. Not that great. I wouldn't recommend it. And then I watched um, True Lies, 1994. James oh, okay. Cameron. I'm still look. Where did you Where did you watch True Lies it's on? A, it's on Prime. It's on Prime. Video. Okay. Because last time I checked, it wasn't there. And I've been wanting to watch True Lies forever. That's been on, like, the top of my watch list because 
I love me some Jamie Lee Curtis. And while I'm not the biggest James Cameron fan, everyone talks about how great True Lies is and everything I've seen. I would like it a lot. I just haven't seen it yet. Okay, so I'm off tomorrow, so I'll probably watch True Lies in between Jeez. editing stuff. It It is the quintessential action movie. Every action movie for me, including Die Hard, I will say, has to clear True Lies because Die Hard... Didn't Die you know, Hard it, come first, though? It absolutely did, but once you watch True Lies, you'll be like, this sets the bar because... Not because I'm not saying it's like the highest quality film. It's because it's the quintessential like 90s, 80s action movie where it everything is ridiculous. And that's what makes it so great. And I'll just leave you with this one line. You'll love it. Here is my invitation. That is uh, that's one of the best lines in the movie. And it happens in the beginning. You'll love it. So, so um, I watched a good thing and a bad thing and I read something. Um, <laughs> the bad thing. I finished off the remaining, like, I picked off, I sniped them, uh, the rest of the X-Men movies that I had not seen. So the week before, I talked about X-Men Dark Phoenix, which for some reason is just still called Dark Phoenix. And this week, I watched X-Men Apocalypse, and I could say without a shadow of a doubt, yeah, this is the worst X-Men movie. I don't care about your X-Men Origins Wolverine, your X3. Apocalypse is sucks so bad. It's awful. I hated it almost every minute of it, except for the stuff with McAvoy and Fassbender. They are always putting on hundred percent. It's not like dark Phoenix or everyone was bored, but I, I don't know why that dark Phoenix is bad. I hated apocalypse more. Maybe it's cause it was coming right off the back of days of future past, which it like completely ignores like all together. Like it didn't even happen. Um, or the fact that we just are like thrust into this new cast that probably should have been set up in the last movie but I don't care about new Cyclops or new Jean Grey. I just think it was, I don't care about these new guys. It was terrible. Um, and then you wasted one of the best actors working today with Oscar Isaac and you have him just in random blue makeup. And considering it's called X-Men Apocalypse, Apocalypse really is not in the movie a whole lot. And he's really not that intimidating. Like he, he was awful as a villain. And I know Apocalypse can be fair, terrifying. He's like the main X-Men villain. X-Men Apocalypse was hot, steaming garbage. It, I remember seeing this in theaters, and of course this was, again, for the people who were like, well, was it that bad? Again, you had First Class, which was a surprise gem. That was Matthew Vaughn, though. Had, yeah, but still, like, if you're going into this yes. film, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's coming on the heels of First Class and then Days of Future Past, which were great. I mean, they were great, uh, and... Then you get this, and I you remember the marketing when they released. Like, do you got do you remember the marketing campaign for this film where they released him as Apocalypse when it was actually it was him holding Mystique up by the neck and like choking her, and they thought it was like women oppression. And then yep. once they got through that PR disaster, then it was like, wait a minute, exactly what you said. Why did you take the, one of the hottest actors out here? You know, coming off of The Force Awakens, he's in the now mainstream. He is, his name is known. And you completely make him unrecognizable. Like, why? Um, and and then you surround that with a really poor story. And you know what? You're, you're right, Nathan. I Now, this came out in oh, 2016, right? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Okay, now, granted, Fe- Dark, like, you know, Dark Phoenix came out in 2019, but I don't remember a thing about, like, hardly a thing about Apocalypse. I, I know the, of course, spoilers here. I know when, um, was it Magneto 
he actually he actually like turns where he's you know trying to live a very quiet life and then something happens and I but then again that. is that which which one is that is that dark phoenix or apocalypse because they do that every single movie that, that's true sorry so apocalypse in the in the woods i'll just say that in the woods with his daughter he lives like, in the woods in a dark phoenix too i know it's true and then the factory scene where he goes nothing is you you're not going to stop me from killing these men and then apocalypse kills all the men. <laughs> like i don't remember anything else i don't even remember how it ended i can't even tell you how it ended and i, I saw it in theaters also i was um, confused of they like they're just like, we got to milk that Wolverine cow one more time. There's a Wolverine cameo, which, if we're being honest, would have been perfect for the next movie. Because this was set in the 80s and Dark Phoenix is set in the 90s. And they, like, release feral Wolverine into the frozen tundra. I'm just like, why couldn't you do that in the 90s? So that way it actually kind of makes sense that he's been roaming around the Canadian wilderness for about six or seven years leading up to X-Men 2000 that actually would have tied things together really really well but no they're just like nah he, let's do that in the 80s screw continuity which is par for the course with x-men um it was bad i was not expecting that um thankfully there's no greater feeling in the world than when you go back and watch one of your favorite childhood movies and it still holds up especially when it's a disney channel original movie which are typically not as good as you remember oh, um yeah. i tracked down the only place i could find this really one of my favorite shows got turned into one of my favorite movies as a kid. The famous Jet Jackson movie I bought off of YouTube movies still holds up. Um, there's this different energy to the actor that plays Jet Jackson. Like he's not um, good for a kid's show or like has that wild over the top Shia LaBeouf, even Stevens type energy. He's just got like this cool laid back demeanor of like you actually come across like a really – normal human kid and the stuff and the drama that's played off felt much more human and realistic as opposed to your stereotypical kids um or family programming i it was just nice to go back and it like re access old recessed memories going i remember what the next line is i don't know how but i just like i know the movie i just don't remember that i know the movie um effects didn't always hold up but um, I can't really blame it. It's a Disney Channel original movie from like 2001. So what do you expect? Um, Disney Plus, please put this on. Um, both the original series and the movie. I know the unfortunate tragedy with the main actor taking his own life. But um, there's a lot of us that are really big fans of famous Jit Jackson. So we would like to go back and watch this at some point. Um, and lastly, I read something. So um, I think it's probably a few months at this rate. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast that the Nightwing comic run is getting a new, completely new creative team, like new artists, new writer. So I was just like, okay, I've read some of the new writer's stuff, um, but I was walking through a bookstore and I found that he apparently wrote a little bit of Spider-Man. So I was like, I'm going to read this guy's Spider-Man to see if he's fit for Nightwing. Oh my God. It's been a very long time since I've laughed so hard at a comic book. And it got me even more excited. So there's a moment in this guy named Tom Taylor. He wrote Spider-Man. Uh, there's a moment where uh, he's rescuing this woman who gets abducted. And he has to look after her two kids who are orange with white hair. So he calls in a favor uh, from the Human Torch, Johnny Storm. He's like, hey, I need you to watch these kids while I go save the mom. Johnny looks over at the two kids. And he's just like, um, are are they mine? And Spider-Man just is like, um, no, um. First of all, 
we're going to have to double back to why you think that's a possibility. Um, just the humor in it was excellent. And also, it's amazing when a comic book can make you laugh and when it can make you cry. And that for sure did that for me. Of there's a, The first five issues is your stereotypical save the damsel in distress adventure. And then issue six is its own complete separate story where we meet a new character called Spider Bite. And as you go through the story, it's spoiler alert, it's not a new sidekick for Spider-Man. It is a terminally ill kid that wanted to spend the day with Spider-Man and have one big adventure with him. So it's just Spider-Man and this boy hanging out at a hospital room, taking on the Sinister 60 as they have like cardboard buildings that they're standing on top of and just hanging out with. And the way they approach um, kind of the inevitability of death, but still having hope with it was really life-affirming, but also really, really sad. And then it ends beautifully with uh, Spider-Man asking the parents, does he have a jacket? They're like, yeah, he's got a jacket. Why? And the very final panel of the comic is just, you see Spider-Man with the kid in his arms and he's swinging through New York one more time for reals this time. And I'm like, okay, Nightwing is in really good hands. And I'm, it's nice when comics and storytelling are just good for the sake of it. That's not something we're going to be able to say for the rest of our discussion later. Oh, well, I'm glad, I'm glad that you enjoyed that. What uh, what is it about here about Dead Jackson? What what is what is the quality? What what is something in film or TV that that keeps it from like keeps it from growing stale? Like, what's the X factor there? In comics, you said you break it up a little bit. Well, no, no, just in film and TV, you mentioned Chet Jackson, you mentioned that, not, you know, actually, you, you mentioned it being like still fresh and it didn't grow old or grow stale. I'm just curious, in, in certain art forms, like, what's that X factor, you think? Uh, people, I think, that care and treating it with respect. Like, um, I think famous Chet Jackson treated its audience like they're smart, mature adults. Um, even if it was a kid's audience, like going back and watching it now, it's really interesting of famous Jackson is a kid show about a kid that works on a TV set, but they film in his hometown. So it's kind of like Hannah Montana. If Hannah Montana was less over the top cheesy and there was no laugh track with it, more human. And so they have this really cool approach that I actually really appreciate because it's very realistic of, um, the town kind of relies on Jet Jackson and the show for its economy. Like most of the town is employed by Jet Jackson. So when he says he quits the show, there's kind of ripples effect of like these people might lose their job. The town might be changing. These people might have to move away. And it's kind of that's very much the case of like there'll be these pockets of this is a film world. And without this, there's trickle down to a lot of smaller smaller jobs that still have big influence there. I'm like, that's kind of a big process for a kid show to be tackling. So um, I think it's just the love and care that goes into it. Also, uh, I completely didn't even notice this, but the director of almost all the original episodes of Famous Hit Jackson, as well as the movie, is Sean Levy, who did the Night at the Museum trilogy, um, Real Steel, and a couple episodes of Stranger Things. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's that's some interesting... Uh, certainly interesting connections. I don't know if the Night the Museum trilogy is something I would boast about. I like, I love the first one, but uh, uh, I think the third one has some moments and a beautiful send off to Robin Williams, which they didn't know at the time would be a send off to Robin Williams. Yeah, but it's true. I I think hmm. as a whole the trilogy works. The second one's kind of weak, but um, 
Speaking of trilogies... Oh, no. Speaking of trilogies that start off strong, the middle part's kind of weak, but we don't know about the third one yet. Um, Zack Snyder's Justice League got its new trailer over the weekend um, on Sunday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, because uh, I believe, according to Snyder, cut fans, it was the original runtime for the movie. It was supposed to be 214 minutes. Um, feel free to comment below if I'm getting that wrong, but I believe that's what... The case is, I'm kind of conflicted on this trailer. I didn't mind it, but I didn't love it either. Um, Then again, I'm not like super amped for this movie, but I thought this would have a little more oomph to it. Now, a lot of people are latching onto this trailer going, Oh, look, look at how cool Darkseid is, or Granny Goodness is behind him, or Superman with the black suit shooting laser beams out of his eyes. I'm just going... It's a lot of cool-looking stuff, but I didn't get a great sense out of this trailer, which is the final trailer, of just what is the story. Like, we know this is going to be different than the original theatrical version. How, narratively, is it different than the original theatrical trailer? And I think Snyder was kind of banking too heavily on... He has... A very loyal fan base, which we'll talk about later for our discussion. He's got this loyal fan base who I'm sure they know the ins and out of this story as much as he has revealed on Vero and other social media accounts. But this trailer needs to to appease both those Snyder Cut fans and casual fans. Because if you're just targeting this movie for just Snyder Cut fans on HBO Max you're only going to have a certain number as opposed to trying to generalize it and broaden it out to everybody. And for that, I think you need more of the story elements of the trailer. There's some cool visuals in this for sure. Um, I obviously have more thoughts on this and especially that stinger at the end. Um, I thought was an odd choice, but we'll double back into that before we get into all that. Michael, you see this new and final Snyder Cut trailer before it drops on March 18th. What were your initial thoughts when you saw this trailer? I echo a lot of things that you just did. And primarily because in the back of my mind, it's just that only certain people were wanting this. I think it's going to only seek to confuse a lot of the regular moviegoers out there. And it's also four hours long. Like... It's it's going to be something It's going to be hard for me to sit. If, given, okay, I'll assume this. If you give me the go-ahead to watch it, then I will struggle to sit down and watch this in one session. But that aside, you're all, I couldn't agree with you more, Nate. And Zack Schneider does this. He gives a lot of spectacles. Very good at this. Same thing with Michael Bay. There's a lot of spectacle. There's a lot of eye candy. There's a lot of cool things. But then when you're trying to tie all it together in one cohesive story that's compelling that's not stale that makes sense that's where it, you really begin to lose me i've never been a fan of the more gothic nature of like his like the way not that he shoots scenes but how how his creation comes to be comes to fruition i really don't like that art style so this definitely looks more zach schneider more it looks like 300 but repasted you know into a comic book movie which was you know obviously it's a comic book movie but i don't know man i don't know how to feel and i i'm generally not this conflicted when it comes to a project it's just 
we've heard about this for years. It's almost as if, as of this, it's a relief that it's out so we can finally move on. I don't feel excitement or anticipation. Yeah. Like there's some stuff that I think on paper, like when you're describing it to somebody should be cool, but you brought up the way Snyder shoots things and the look. I know there's a lot of people that like Snyder's look and aesthetic. I'm not really one of them. Um, like the picture of dark side here that we've got on the graphic. Mm-hmm. I think face wise, like neck up, it looks great. The actual armoring and the aesthetic of the character. I'm not overly a big fan of the overly detailed look. It just, it looks weird to me. Same thing with Steppenwolf. I'm not saying Steppenwolf in the 2017 won't look good. That, that looked like steaming garbage too, but I'm not really digging what Snyder's dishing out with the, like the suit is alive and kind of morphs to the situation and kind of like becomes like almost like a porcupine of like razor blades everywhere. That, I don't know. That's right. just like a, just throw everything out there just because it looks cool as opposed to, I, I don't know. And it's, he comes back to that aesthetic thing of it's either we really turned up the shadows and the contrast and the saturation to ridiculous levels or everything's really, really dark and we can't see anything like I thought it was either that super super bright uh, mustard brown slash goldish of like the apocalypse and the nightmare scenes or pitch black like why is everything happening at night um and <laughs> that's like yeah. it's really dark and I, I don't, maybe Snyder will be like it's story reasons that way when Superman comes back to life the light will come back I I don't know. Now, getting to Superman, it was nice to hear Pa Kent again going mm-hmm. uh, using that Man of Steel speech. But I'm, I, I think it's funny that he's just like, you owe it to yourself. Even if it takes the rest of your life, Superman dies a movie later. So, yes, it did take him his entire life to find out what his goal <laughs> was in life. Um, I think the trailer hints at what causes Superman's like turn to the true form because Snyder himself has said that by the end of this movie or by the end of what his arc was going to be Superman becomes the Superman that we know and love and have always wanted him to be it looks like when he's getting revived in that sequence uh, they drop a picture or a picture of pocket accidentally drops in and I'm like so is he gonna get the morality of pocket in which case it's not really different than what he should have had before, but also Pa Kent advocated that small children die in Man of Steel. So um, I don't necessarily know if that's the best option. Um, it was nice to hear Pa Kent again. I, I don't know. It's just, it was an odd choice. Now we've got to talk about it. That end stinger. I know for some reason, so many people were shocked. They're like, oh, Joker. I'm like, y'all like, Four or five days ago, we had all these official pictures of Jared Leto's Joker in this movie. We talked about it last week on the podcast. This was not shocking. We knew Joker was going to be in this movie. It's either people were shocked that he was in this, or they were shocked that he said, we live in a society, which I'm just going, okay, Zack Snyder clearly gives no Fs anymore, and it's just doing this for the memes. Because um, mm-hmm. like we got this close, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix went to that meme line um yeah it i'm getting the sense from that at least from the trailer that 
it's not how we originally envisioned the Joker scene going down. Like we talked about last week, mm-hmm. of, I kind of want him and Batman to have yeah. like a come to Jesus meeting about him and Robin. And maybe that's still going to happen. But it, I almost got the sense from that scene that they're like old friends or like frenemies. And I'm like, I don't really like that because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Snyder has said in interviews, you know, things have to be bad if Batman and Joker are working together. And I'm just going, I honestly can't think of a time. And maybe it's someone can enlighten me. I'm sure they will in the comments. I would think if the world has gone to hell and apocalypse is, and dark side has taken over all the world and make it, made it a new apocalypse wouldn't that be joker's ultimate playground because the world is in utter chaos wouldn't he love that more than anything else because like we remember from the dark knight he's an agent of chaos if the world is in utter despair wouldn't that be joker's paradise not something that he would need to work together with batman for it just seems odd there's just a lot of this trade and a lot of Zack Snyder's choices in the past that just feel like, well, I think this would be cool, therefore I'm going to do it. And in a sense, I applaud him for that. He's going balls to the wall with this. He, No one can say this isn't Zack Snyder. So good or bad, we need to credit Zack Snyder. If it doesn't do well and it's bad, we blame Zack Snyder. If it is a great movie, we will say, okay, we were wrong. Zack Snyder, this is what happens when you're given creative freedom. Okay, cool. That being said, I do believe this is his last one in the DCEU. I think he's moving on to uh, Netflix. He's working on something else that we'll talk about later. Um, This trailer, it's got cool visuals, but to me, at no point did it feel like a Justice League movie because there's no shot of the team together, which I thought we would get at some point. None of the characters kind of looked or acted like league members um mm-hmm. i don't know um i'm still gonna see this again you bring up the four-hour runtime work is getting busier and busier for me i want to sit down and yeah. watch this in one sitting and probably do a review for you guys because this has been so highly anticipated it's just gonna be a matter of carving that time out of my day um and i i still stand by my decision of i'd rather it be a four-hour movie than split into four weeks as a series because that means Snyder really does have full autonomy and he's not cutting it to match like commercial breaks. Um, I don't, this trailer just didn't wow me like it probably should have. That mm-hmm. being said, I'm still going to watch it as soon as I can. It's just a matter of really finding that four hour chunk of my day is going to be difficult going forward. Yeah, I, I completely, I completely agree with you. And, you know, I seriously like something like, Something like the Joker scene, like showing up, like that that reveal at the very end, that was not something that I was, I was anticipating at all. Um, uh, and and so, um, when you said that, I was thinking back to that reveal, and I'm thinking to myself, like, did that actually happen? Did that actually happen in the like dream sequence? Does it look like he's in a dream sequence? It doesn't actually look like he's in reality. He's, he's in, talking to him. He's in the nightmare seat. He's in the nightmare future, which he said is, is a dream. Okay. Like a possible future. Like, why can't he talk to Joker? Like not in this, not in reality. I just, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And it's like, it's like, I, I don't know, but he looks so drastically different than he did, which and, is a good thing. Yeah. Then he, then he did in 
uh, Suicide Squad. I wonder if people even recognize him as the Joker. I wonder if there's some people going like, who is that? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least some people out there, the more the casual people that thought this was a new version of Joker because of how radically different it was. I have heard some theories, and I kind of would really, really dig this, um, that Batman is talking to this Joker, and then it looks like we can see Cyborg in the background, and then Cyborg says something about, who are you talking to? We look back, and there's no Joker. It's all Joker lives inside Batman's head, and he's actually been dead for several years. I think that would be even more interesting of... Even after death, Joker is still in the mind and still with Batman. Um, the worst possible thing they can do is be like, um, you know how you all thought Jason Todd might be Joker? No, nah, this is actually Dick Grayson, the Robin that he killed becomes Joker. In which case, I kid you not, if that happens to be revealed in this movie, I will turn the movie off and not finish the rest. I don't oh, care man. if Superman gets the ultimate redemption and becomes like the best Superman ever. If you pull that crap with Dick Grayson, I will not watch. You watch now. Now it'll I, actually happen. I asked you about this. I asked you about this. I you just did. I hope you're prepared. I hope you're prepared that if that happens, like this is going to be the case. Like I, I'm. I hope you're not let down, buddy. But then again, if you are, you'll have saved me some money because if you're not going to finish it, then there's no no chance that I would. So. Something I will finish. Um, unlike <laughs> The Last of Us Two, which I may or may not have not finished um not rage quit like everyone else did it's just i'm bad with stealth games and last of us 2 was very much a stealth game and also i have bigger issues with the game but it's not to the extent that everybody else does i think the narrative is good i think it's just out of order uh we bring up the last of us because as we know hbo is developing its version of a Last of Us series. And we've kind of been wondering, well, who's going to be our Joel and who's going to be our Ellie for a while? Now we know, and it's not who I thought, but I'm not mad in the slightest. Seems like we're getting Pedro Pascal as Joel himself and Bella Ramsey from Game of Thrones to be Ellie. So two former Game of Thrones alums in the Last of Us HBO series and another HBO series. Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. Um, I was kind of thinking that um, they might actually go with another HBO alum in Jamie Lannister, Nikolai Coster Waldau, um, just because he looks great with the beard. He kind of looks already like Joel. That being said, Pedro Pascal is on the rise. He's a hot commodity right now. Um, I'm so, so down with this. I only hope that he doesn't get typecast as old grumpy old man that has to protect a smaller figure that's of importance to its universe um because this does kind of feel a little bit like oh he's popular in mandalorian oh you say he's babysitting somebody put him in the last of us why not it's the same thing um pedro pascal's phenomenal actor let's not also overlook the actress the young actress playing ellie of bella ramsey she was one of the best characters in the later seasons of game of thrones which is kind of where the wheels started coming off but through no fault of her own she was one of the best things about those later seasons she was fantastic uh i'm just really really excited for the last of us um it's a i think video game series that lends itself well to a series or a movie i think a series more so than a movie i'm really looking forward to this i do wonder however though if this will 
delineate away from what happens in the games because without dipping too much into spoilers for those that haven't gotten around to the second one I don't know if the show was made aware of the events of the second one before they announced the show because there's a pretty definitive narrative ending for certain characters and I'm just going well that sucks but maybe Maybe the show is a way to write that because Last of Us is very controversial among fans regarding its narrative decisions with certain characters. I agree to a certain extent. I disagree with to a certain extent. Um, I would like to see the time between Last of Us 1 and Last of Us 2 because I, even playing the second Last of Us, it felt like there was a game missing and like a time period missing. Uh, but you slap Last of Us on anything, and I'll be there in a heartbeat because it was actually my first PS4 game ever. It came with the console when I first bought it. But it's another one of those ones that I have a connection to because of you, Michael. Well, I'll say this. I followed this particular story like once it came out because this video game like took the at least the PSN world by storm because I didn't have a playstation i had xbox i didn't have enough money so what i did is i watched like the last of us movie Mm -hmm. online like on youtube and my friend and i i still remember nate where i was standing i was at i was watching i was house sitting or helping my buddy house sit for a teacher we had in high school who was on vacation and we went over and i said i said hey tommy have have you seen this and he goes um he goes no it's like buddy we got to watch the intro to this it just dropped this getting it's blowing up it's going viral you know this is a newer term now and we watched the the intro to where it it it, it, we watched the intro of the last of us where it actually gives you the title card of the video game and yeah and the death of sarah yeah and it fades to black as he's crying you know uh because there and it goes the last of us and we looked at each other and we were like what it, it was like taking i mean all video games up to that point had good stories but it was so cinematic and done so well that i'm like what in the world is going on so i actually watched the entire last of us like movie on youtube it's like an eight hour thing that you can watch and then i i followed the development of the second game quite closely and then the uh development of the anger and hilarity that was the Mass Effect fan base afterwards. I don't, I don't have the games and never played them, but it was interesting to watch how people just lost their ever living minds. Oh um, yeah. So that being said, what what's coming here? I don't really know anything about the actress at all, and I don't think a whole lot of people do. But Pedro Pascal, as one of our friends has always said, it's never a mistake to add talent. I'm just curious that. You've said this before, that there are certain video games that are best told in a TV series. Is it kind of odd that they're going to try to tell this kind of scope and scale in a movie instead of a TV show? This is a TV show. It is a TV show. Yes. Well, this is a TV show. I read something today about it being a movie. Why did I read that? I just, that's my fault. 100% my fault. Well, guess what? You see, you're still right, Nate. Now, I'm curious. Did I, was I the one who talked to you about this? Yes, you were the one that showed me in college, that opening scene. Oh, okay, yeah. And you, I I just, I'm so sorry that I can't remember. Did you have this similar reaction that I did initially was just like utter shock? I think it was at that time that like, 
it was around the same. It was weird. I remember in college there were certain videos that really stuck in my mind. Of there was reaction videos for people watching the beginning of Last of Us, as well as reaction videos for like, um, not Five Nights at Freddy's, but like those type of jump games. So I remember watching reactions for both of those because they're so radically different. Dude, I yeah, I still remember um, watching that opening for the first time. Last of Us, just going, is this a game or is this a new like animated series or what? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's also fun to see people that haven't seen The Last of Us watch the opening mm-hmm. scene because they are just like, oh, oh it's the op- you want me to watch the opening of a video game? And then within five minutes, they're like locked in, and by the end of it, they don't say anything. Like, um. Heather had seen me play it a little bit, but then before the second one came out, I was like, I need to go back and play the first one. It's been a while. And she had watched me play all four Uncharted, so she was familiar with Nutty Dog. But I was like, Last of Us is different. It's a masterpiece. But I didn't know if she would like it or not because it's definitely more bleak than um, Uncharted is. She was locked in with Last of Us. Like The narrative is so captivating and the characters are so well written and fleshed out. It's just hard not to get sucked into that. And I think looking at the creative team for this, there's a lot of cause for optimism here. Mm-hmm. Plus, mm-hmm. with HBO, you know that they're w- going to be willing to embrace more hardcore aspects that are presented in the narrative. Like, say compared to like an AMC with The Walking Dead, that still kind of has a limit. Whereas HBO, there really is no limit there. Um, Like, The Last of Us is not a pleasant world to live in. Joel, as much as he's one of my favorite video game characters ever, because he's one of the most realized characters ever, he'll tell you he's not really a good person. Um, And I think having that type of a flawed character can be really, really interesting, especially having the dynamic of Ellie. Um... I'm just really, really amped for this. Um, and this coupled with some other future projects that we've got coming down the pike when it comes to video games, I think will be really big factors in turning the tide of we, I think, are on the precipice of a new age when it comes to video game adaptations, both in TV and movies, for the better. Long gone on our Super Mario Brothers. Welcome, Last of Us, Uncharted. Um, maybe Resident Evil, I'm not sure. Just... Yes, it was nice to finally get some forward momentum on this because it felt like this, the car that is Last of Us had stalled for a bit and just getting this mm. casting means, okay, production should be around the corner on this sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this has been in, in production a while and that and a lot of it has been because of the success of the game. It's just that when it comes to these types of stories, you know, we've, we've seen the damn kind of break now that, they're the medium probably for video games are not movies. It's TV shows. And with the advent of something like the Mandalorian, where you can use like stagecraft technology, you don't have to shoot on location. You there's, there's cheaper and better ways to do things to pull off shots and quote unquote CGI or photorealistic backgrounds that don't take thousands of man hours and millions of dollars. And I think that will certainly help this genre, especially like you had said, if you surround it with a, very talented creative team there's there's no reason why they shouldn't work and they're now they're just get they're now given this opportunity much like for a lot of people the dark knight you know iron man their first i mean you want to throw sam raimi spider-man in there but that's a totally different league and feel that's where like super superhero movies were really trying to take themselves seriously in a way uh 
it just it takes a while. There's a reason why we didn't get like Infinity War 40 years ago. So, yeah. So this is some late breaking news that uh, some people might just gloss over, but I think there's some important details here other than the fact that it's just cool. Um, apparently DC Comics is doing a new line of comics in the world of the classic Superman and Batman movies, like Batman 89 with Michael Keaton and Batman 78 with Christopher Reeves. And they're making that its own comic book line. Now, before we get into it, this is actually nothing new for DC Comics. After Smallville ended, they continued with, um, I believe it was called Smallville Season 11. It was a comic run of basically, well, what happens to Clark? After Smallville ends. Now that we don't have to pay Tom Welling to be in a Superman costume, we can actually have a Superman in the comics. Because Tom Welling, as much as I like Smallville, he was also one of the biggest detriments to Smallville of refusing to wear a Superman costume or flying or anything like that. Um, I think this is awesome. And I'm actually really surprised that it's taken them this long. Um, However, I think there's a reason why they're choosing to do this now. One of the DC movies that's coming in the not-so-distant future that should be going into production in a few months is Ezra Miller's The Flash. Now, rumors have been circulating forever, and it seems more than likely that Michael Keaton's Batman will show up as one of the Batman in The Flash movie. Interesting that we're all of a sudden getting some life again from the Michael Keaton Batman with the comics. Um, I was just thinking of this as a comic run that could boost some sales a little bit. But I think it was 3C Films on Twitter, shout him out, he's great, that suggested this idea that maybe they want fans to get some form of a, this is what's been going on in the world of Batman leading up to the events of The Flash to get that cross-promotion going. Um unfortunately we can't really do anything with the Christopher Reeves thing due to his passing many years ago but I think it would be cool to go back to the Christopher Reeves era and continue telling that but since we're not doing it for film or TV we can do whatever we want on the page we can have oh dude we never had Christopher Reeves Superman fight Brainiac or Bizarro or Doomsday how cool would it be to have Christopher Reeve Superman fight Doomsday, even if it's in, just in a comic, I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities that could come of this. Um, I think had Christopher Reeve still been alive, we could have had a really cool Christopher Reeves meets Henry Cavill moment, uh, but we'll probably get that in The Flash with the Batmans. I just don't think it's an accident that they're just now saying, oh, hey, guys, we've had these really iconic comics comic book characters forever that you loved way back when now you can revisit their epic adventures years later in the comic book page right as we're about to reintroduce one of them back on the big screen michael am i crazy you think there's something to that no i i think there is i think there absolutely is and you know and i guess let me ask you let me ask you this though is this something that not only with you like how how hard is this to sell to the hardcore fan base is, it, is, it, is this a pretty easy thing to for them to accept and to want? Uh, for the hardcore fan base, I don't think this is a hard sell at all because the hardcore okay. fan base has grown up watching these. And also, we are used to – I don't know if this will be a limited run or a long run. We are used to characters that we know and love like a Batman, a Superman, a Nightwing, Spider-Man, whoever. 
having a certain story and then all of a sudden going, we're going to continue the story. But over here, we've got this separate story going on. Like, as comic book fans, that happens all the time. Just with Batman, you've got um, Batman, Batman Incorporated, All-Star, Batman, Detective Comics, and with Superman, you got Superman, Action Comics, um, All-Star, Superman. You've got all kinds of different comic lines running at the same time, so I don't think this is anything new. It's just another... Okay. Another story to be told now it's, i don't know if it'll be a limited series like a mini series or a, an ongoing series as much as i can i think they just want something to pop sales for a little bit too because comics as a medium is not really a big seller it actually is not doing as bad in the pandemic as people projected it to but it's still not high on at&t's priority list currently now that they own warner brothers um this is the equivalent of like wrestlers bringing back uh, like WWE bringing back an old wrestler. It's to pop a rating. But sometimes it works. And I think this is, might be one of those times that it works. Because people love the Christopher Reeves movies. They love the Michael Keaton movies. But physically, you can't do much more with their stories. But on the page, you still right. can. The page is not limited like a TV or movie budget is. The page is wonderful because you can put whatever you want on there without budgetary constrictions. And I think that... If I'm a writer, I'm really... Uh, salivating over this because there's a lot of interesting creative freedom that you can have here. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's good to know because you know, for me, I, I haven't, and I'm I apologize. I mean, again, I'm kind of like this person hanging out in left field. I haven't seen them. Like the only I've I've never seen any Batman film outside of uh, Nolan's trilogy. I didn't uh, make you. All. I didn't make no. you watch any in college, like Mask of the Phantasm. No, no, I haven't watched. I mean, I grew up with the animated series. Yeah, and Mask Batman. of the Phantasm is a sequel to the animated series. Yeah, I, which I've never seen. You know, Dude. I've Batman Beyond growing up, and I, I, I've just, you, you know, I've, seriously, I've never seen any of that stuff. So for the, when I see this news, I'm happy, and I'll say this, I'm happy for the hardcore fans because they're the ones that, like, I don't say deserve. I don't like to use that word. I don't like to use the word entitled mm-hmm. either. But I feel as if they are, in a way, to to get some of this back. And I'm, I'm very glad. I mean, I guess let me... Let me pose it this way, possibly. Is this type of move, it's for the hardcore fans, right? This is not trying to go after somebody like myself, right? Like, I'm not I think this is. I think this is a move for the casuals because, say, uh, someone like you or someone else that may not know Batman comics, but you see Batman 89 or something that looks suspiciously like Christopher Reeve's Superman, that's going to catch your eye and go, wait. That's a Batman I recognize. What what's happening here? I that was a movie. Okay. Is this a comic too? Uh, and then you'll thumb through it, and if it looks interesting, you might buy it. And if it has an interesting hook to it, you might buy the next one. And next thing you know, you're reading and buying comics. So I think this is more of a play for the casuals and the hardcores. The hardcores will buy just about anything, but also can be driven away really, really quickly. I think this is a nostalgia ploy for people that don't read comics on the regular and if you don't read comics on the regular this might be a good place to start i think everyone can have a good entry point into comics you just gotta kind of know where you want to jump into um you said you haven't seen mask of the phantasm for next week you should watch that that's the best batman movie ever made it's a sequel kind of it it's kind of a sequel to uh the batman animated series it's both a sequel and a prequel so it's set in the batman animated universe universe um i don't want to say too much but it 
it details kind of the origin of Batman, but not while having a completely new and original villain in the Phantasm. And it's outstanding. It basically poses the question of, did Bruce Wayne always have to be Batman? What if there was a happier route that he could have taken? What if he had the option to be happy at one point in his life? And that came out in 1993? Yep. Huh. And for my money, no Batman movie has yet to beat it. It's still phenomenal. There's one scene. um, This isn't a spoiler. And I want this to be in a live action movie someday. There's a scene where he suits up as Batman for the first time. You don't see his face. It's all in shadow. And it actually scares Alfred. Like he gasps going, what is this thing before me now? And I've always kind of wanted to see that because it means that Bruce Wayne's gone. And if you've scared Alfred, who is watching you get ready, then you know you are now fear. You are the knight. You are Batman. It, it's so good. I could talk about Mask of the Phantasm all day. And I probably could. But we got to move on to something else that I care deeply about. I care very deeply about King Arthur, believe it or not. Um, as a kid, didn't have a lot of friends, so I read a lot. And I didn't read comics a ton as a kid. I had a bunch, but I read a lot of the old literary classics. King Arthur, Robin Hood, Treasure Island, Three Musketeers, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So King Arthur, any of those like public domain classic legends, kind of pull up my heartstrings a little bit. And... I'm very, very conflicted about this next story. Apparently, Zack Snyder is toying with the idea of doing a quote-unquote more faithful adaptation of King Arthur. Now, I don't agree with Zack Snyder on a lot of stuff. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of his, but at least he and I, if he and I were to ever have lunch together, at least we could have that common ground going, oh yeah. A lot of King Arthur movies over the past 20 or 30 years have just sucked. Like, he he's aware of it. He's just like, I want a faithful adaptation. I'm just like, I'm with you there, Zach. Because, God, I watched King Arthur Legend of the Stone with Heather in theaters from 2017 with Charlie Hunnam. Oh, that is one no. of the worst movies I've ever seen in a theater. And I love Guy Ritchie, but that was just awful. And then before that... I love Antoine Fuqua. Like, um, I love The Equalizer. I love The Magnificent Seven. But his 2004 King Arthur movie with Yoan Gruffert? Yoan Gruffert? That was bad. And neither of them even remotely resembled a King Arthur movie. Although, I believe we've talked about it before in the podcast. Uh, the 2004 King Arthur has outstanding music. Like, Hans Zimmer outdid himself on that score. I... That's just a banger. The entire album is on my instrumental playlist on Spotify. I, I any any suggestion that you have for soundtrack stuff, I put it on there. And I'm, I'm seriously to all listeners out there, please take some time and add that to your library. It is magnificent. So thank you again. Kudos to you. Yeah, but Zach is not wrong. Uh, I've been as a King Arthur and a Robin Hood fan. I've been afflicted in crappy adaptations of both. Um, the last good Robin Hood movie was Robin Hood Men in Tights. Come at me. It's still an excellent Robin Hood movie. King Arthur, I genuinely don't know what the last good King Arthur movie was. So, I'm going to say something not very normal for me, but, um, you do it, Snyder. Go get it. Because 
as much as I'm not your biggest fan, you really can't do much worse than what we've already had. Um, it's just weird to me of going more faithful. I get being more faithful, but there's also a lot of facets to the King Arthur legend. Like, there isn't one definitive version of King Arthur. Um, so I'm conflicted. Then again, I'm not as emotionally connected to King Arthur as I am, like, a Superman or a Batman or a Spider-Man. So if he gets... If he gets in at least the same ballpark of King Arthur, unlike previous adaptations, I think I can live with him. Be like, okay, this is at least closer than whatever the heck Charlie Hunnam was thinking, or whatever the heck uh, they were doing with Antoine Fuqua one. Uh, so Zach, just get it in the same ballpark, get it within the same sport-ish to go with the metaphor for King Arthur, and I guess I can be on board with it. Just, I I don't know. He's not my favorite. But it can't get much worse than it already has been. Yeah, that when you when you uh, sent me that, well, actually, in our, our show notes that you showed this, I was just thinking, um, hmm, hmm. I'm like, well, faithful adaptation. I'm like, well, there is that m- movie with was it Death Patel? Was it called The Green? No, it hasn't come Green. out yet. Yeah, no, it's it hasn't yet. What is it called? The Green Knight. Yeah, um, that looks awesome. Yeah, that does anything. Death Patel touches, uh, I'm gonna watch. Um, but yeah, I just can't help but think it's just gonna look like 300. And I, as much as I kind of admire that testosterone fueled movie, in a, in its own right, the the idea that it would, I don't know, man. We're gonna talk about this in our discussion later. Like, sure, I guess, but it's like. Why is it that we're getting, for every bad Batman movie, there's also a bad King Arthur movie? I don't understand that particular ratio. There's more. Way. There's more bad King Arthur's than bad Batman's, at least. Well, yeah, I just like what I guess maybe for the listeners out there, Nathan, what is a faithful adaptation to the source material? What is it? I mean, just no common, no like, no opinions. What are the facts? And that's the room. Uh. A little bit of sorcery, which I feel like Zach might lean a little too heavily into that, knowing his propensity for a spectacle. Um, I don't know. It's not like there's a definitive narrative. There. It's like Robin Hood. There isn't one start-to-end story. It's a combination of smaller individual stories of like him with his knights, uh, him with... Um, I was about to say Dumbledore. That is not who it is. Merlin. <laughs> although, although, uh, Morgan Le Fay just, it's not a definitive story. There's certain aspects like, you know, him actually being a king throughout the entire movie that are kind of important. Having a round table for most of the movie. Those are kind of aspects that have been missing from the previous incarnations, like the things that are most synonymous with King Arthur, a round table and the name King um, have been missing. I'm worried though, that he's just going to kind of turn this into another version of Superman of King Arthur is a Jesus metaphor. I'm going, uh, are you sure about that? I'm worried that Zach was just like, who's in the public domain? Dibs, King Arthur's available. Because no matter what, you can always do a King Arthur movie, just like you do a Robin Hood movie because it's public domain. I I don't know. Maybe he's got a love and appreciation for it. Like, um, 
uh, Tim Burton did with Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Who knows? I don't know his history with King Arthur, but again, he can't do much worse than what's already happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true, but I also do. We really want to. I mean, do we really want to test somebody on that? I mean, uh, of course. I, I guess. I guess that uh, considering that if you if you set this bar so incredibly low that hey we'll just take anything i just don't know if this particular story is just begging to be retold or done right well i don't know maybe, maybe i'm wrong on that i just I, it's hard for me to get excited about it i'm, I'm sorry like it is but hey uh more power to him at least he knows what he wants to do next i'll give i'll give him to it that in that way in that regard so well this next one is odd and it's even odder that the director of said project actually offered up a clarification after the news came out so adam wingard the director of michael's most anticipated movie of the year with godzilla vs kong is directing not a face-off reboot but a face-off sequel (laughs) so for those that don't know face-off is the closest we have ever gotten to movie perfection uh, because it has both John Travolta and Nicolas Cage pretending to be the other person. So you've got John Travolta as a dedicated cop trying to hunt down evil Nicolas Cage's caster Troy. And so they swap faces and Nick- and John Travolta goes undercover as Nicolas Cage. Granted the fact that they don't have nearly the same body shape at all and they just swap <laughs> faces. And then while... John Travolta's face is preoccupied. Nicolas Cage steals his face on his body. It's a weird concept, and I love every second about it. This is an odd choice to make it a sequel instead of a reboot. Because, like, the concept of face-off is kind of cool, minus the fact of, like, it only really should work with twins because you're only swapping the face and not the rest of your body. So... You have to change the walk, your physical attributes. It's it's the whole thing. Um, that being said, anything that even remotely has the name Nicolas Cage on it, I am there with money in hand, willing to pay. I will probably get around to watching Willy's Wonderland at some point just because Nicolas Cage is in it. Uh, I think this is a clever enough idea. Um, I don't know if Adam Wingard is qualified because I haven't... St- off the top of my head, I don't think I've seen any of his stuff. And Godzilla vs. Kong does look awesome, but I haven't seen it yet. I think the concept of this is strong enough, but again, how can this be a sequel when, spoiler alert, the bad guy is pretty soundly defeated at the end? And if not, Nicolas Cage is not in this movie, I ain't watching this movie. Yeah, I don't know how they would make a sequel and not have them in it, but I've never seen this glorious film. Can you? I, is this something you would put above Mask of the Phantasm for me to watch then? Oh, heck no. I would never put anything above Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, okay. All right, fair enough. Um, yeah, I've never seen this, so I, I have really nothing to go on. It just came, it's came so out the worst time. It is yeah, so 90s. Yeah, I, I don't know. John Travolta, I really haven't seen a whole lot of films that I like with him. I mean, Saturday Night Fever is kind of a niche, but... I don't, I don't know. That's your go-to Travolta movie? <laughs> well, that or Grease, and I, I'm not a huge musical fan, so uh, he's he. But he, I tell you what, though, a guy could dance. Uh, you cannot deny that. 
uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Listen, Nick, I'm not a Nicholas oh, man, Cage I shot can dance. In the face. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not that type of guy. Nicholas so. Cage can dance too, provided there's bees that he's running away from. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, sure. Why not? Okay, uh, we've gotten so many sequels, but this. I mean, come on. I mean, sure. Uh, I'll uh, I'll check. I'll listen. I will default to you. If you think it's worth my time, then I believe you have literally have never steered me wrong in regards to like a movie recommendation. Uh, although, you know, Wreck-It Ralph, I thought was just okay. The first one or the second one? The first one. <gasps> You're a disappointment. Sorry, Again, I'm watch sorry, Mask of the buddy. Phantasm. You, I think you'll be very surprised okay. with Mask of the Phantasm. It's like if Batman the Animated Series doubled its budget and also went, oh, hey. You're a really, really fancy choir and orchestra. You want to do our soundtrack? Good. Because holy crap, the score for Mask of the Phantasm is like shivers. It's fantastic. Yeah, well, the movie's older than I am. I just, I didn't realize, when did the animated series come out? Is that before? 92. 92, okay. So So this is in right, the middle how... of its run. Okay, that's, okay, that makes more sense. You don't have to, you don't have to have seen any of the animated series. It just exists in that same world. Like, it, it takes place... During the show, but also before the show, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. No, it does. Lastly, we've got another one that was up Michael's alley. And I don't think this, is at the end of the day, is a huge deal breaker, but it's still kind of a big deal nonetheless. And that's that Mission Impossible 7 and 8, whatever they're going to be called, Mission Impossible, we kill off Benny or no. uh, Ving Rhames' character. Don't uh, you say that they are no longer filming back to back however this isn't immediately cause for concern mission impossible 7 is still theoretically mm, god willing in the creek don't rise uh coming out at the end of this year the only reason they are not shooting back to back is now due to other film delays and just the landscape of the movie world tom cruise has other obligations he's got to do that thing that no celebrity likes to do publicity tours he's got some other movie coming out called uh top gun maver maverick um coming out soon heard of that one so he's got to do press for that and that unfortunately has to take him away from shooting mission mission impossible 8 so uh, it's mission impossible 8 is still scheduled to come out i believe holiday season 2022 so next year uh, I don't think this is the biggest thing, but I don't know. There's still something there. Do you think with these delays, it ultimately impacts the movies at all, Michael? Do you think they're still connected, or or how do you think this is going down? Yeah, I just think it's just a logistical nightmare to try to do both these films, considering everything else that's going on right now. So. You know, just like any sort of creative direction that they want to go maybe in a different direction with the final story and they need to have some more time to flush it out. So that that's totally fine with me. I have complete confidence. Like I ha I don't care how much it's delayed, if there's reshoots. I, they have earned my trust. It's just sad that we won't get to see them as quick. But you know, Tom Cruise isn't getting any younger, so he can only he can only almost kill himself so many times. Mm. So I it, it'll be It'll be interesting to see what type of stunts they do, not just in seven, but also eight. But I, I think they're going to be connected still. But 
given everything else, I think this was kind of writing on the wall. Yeah, it just makes sense. Um, I'm trying to think if we've talked about this or not. Do you actually believe Tom Cruise and the rest of the crew when they say that eight will be the final Mission Impossible? Or do you think they will wait and see how the box office returns are? Well, if Fast and Furious is any any indication, then money is always the X factor. But I think these will continue to make money. That, I think, is going to be a given. But maybe just in this iteration, maybe maybe they introduce some new cast, planting seeds in 7 and 8, or maybe just planting in 8 is kind of like handing the torch off. But it would not be Mission Impossible. It would be something, maybe kind of like a spinoff series starting its own thing. Uh, I think that's probably more a responsible way of doing it. Uh, but if you said, let's bring people back together, I think if they brought people back together for nine, I think I'd like to see them change up and go in a different direction and kind of touch on some new themes. I don't know if I'd want the same director uh, uh, as well because I think I don't want them to ru- ruin their welcome. You know, I want, I want it to be you go out on a strong note and that's it. Don't try to capture the magic in a bottle like four times. So... I've got a thought here, which is never good. So the IMF, I'd imagine, is not just Ethan Hunt and his three friends that he happens to be in close proximity for that movie. Thankfully, we've gotten more set team within the past few movies. But um, how would you feel as a longtime Mission Impossible fan? How would you feel if 8 is the end of the Ethan Hunt story, but... We keep Mission Impossible movies, maybe with Ethan Hunt staying on as the director of the IMF, and he's the one that charges people with the missions every movie. That way Tom Cruise is still involved, both as a producer, but also narratively he's still involved. Ethan Hunt is now just the one assigning the impossible missions, and maybe every once in a while he'll join them on a mission. It doesn't completely ever rule him out. It just phases his character in the next stage of life. Is that something you'd be interested in, or you think that's a little too too out there for Tom Cruise? Yeah, I mean, other than other than like his short scene in Tropic Thunder, I mean, which was so niche. I am talking scorched earth, mother ever. I will massacre you. Can you find out who that was, please? That, uh, yeah. So in a, but that was a scene in which he like dominated. So how do you unsee Tom Cruise and have him as a side character? I have no idea. I like it from a narrative perspective, but from a realistic like production standpoint, I don't ever see that happening. That's probably fair. Uh, before we get into our discussion, our sponsor for this week is um, HBO Max, where you could probably watch most of the movies that we're probably going to talk about in reference to Zack Snyder today. Well, so long as HBO Max still has a relationship with Zack Snyder, which it doesn't seem like Warner Brothers is super interested in keeping him around. Which... I'm not going to lie, it's kind of a shame because Warner Brothers is slowly but surely losing a lot of their iconic directors as they've lost Christopher Nolan. They're probably going to be losing Danny Villeneuve. Say what you want about Snyder, he's got a very unique voice. So, to kick us off for this discussion, kind of looking at both sides of the world of Zack Snyder movies, pros and cons, because I want to look at both as fairly as we can. I know we come into it, as anybody does, into any form of a debate with um, 
presuppositions and some biases. I kind of want to leave as many of those as we can on at the door and look at both the positive and the negative. But in order to do that, just off the bat, I say the name Zack Snyder without thinking about anything else. I just say Zack Snyder. Michael, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that name? 300. I I, I think of I think of the movie 300 because literally when that came out in, in middle school, every single boy, every, you know, as, you know, 2006, I'm a sixth grader, and we're all trying to beg our dads to go take us to watch this. Yeah, let's be men. I mean, come on. You know, eat, or was it, what's the line that uh, Gerard Butler says? You tonight know, we dine in hell. Yeah, tonight, I mean, yeah, eat hearty boys for tonight we dine in hell. I mean, come on. I mean, it's so... Like machismo so over the top, but it's like you go see it with your buddies and you just you feel on top of the world. And it's like, well, who directed that? That was Zack Snyder. So every single thing when you hear Zack Snyder, I, it comes back to 300. I can't, I cannot take them apart. They're just they're always, they're always you know intertwined. And when I think of 300, I think of that again that gothic art style that's. I mean, it honestly, looks like a comic book movie mixed with mythology come to life. It doesn't look realistic. It, it's over the top, over the top action, and or excuse me, over the top. I, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's such a unique style that he puts on screen, and it's the, in every movie that's his big films. I mean, like at Sucker Punch, Watchmen, Man of Steel. Uh, Batman v Superman, they all have that same feel. It's like, I wonder who directed it. Oh, never mind. I know who directed this. So, yeah, if you had to, how would you describe that Zack Snyder style, positively or negatively? Just how, when you yeah. hear a Zack Snyder movie, how would you describe it to somebody who has never heard of Zack Snyder? Well, I would say gothic. If you want to study gothic architecture, uh, that's that's the, the envisioning. I'd say green screened. I would say... Um, well, when it comes to it's a visual spectacle, like they're really pretty to look at, uh, but also confusing narratively. So there, there's a lot of positives. Like every time I can think of a positive, I'm describing it to somebody. I said, but also be prepared to ask yourself these questions. Like, well, wait a minute, why why is that happening? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, so I'll probably start with the negatives just to kind of get them out of the way. And unfortunately, I think over time, I think more negatively. I don't have any negative thoughts about Snyder, which is a big positive that I'll come back to later. But um, I dislike more movies of his than I like. But I will say the movies that I do like of his, it's when I think he finds his sweet spot. Because for sure, every director, it's not just Snyder, Every director has a specific sweet spot. J.J. Uh, Abrams, it's starting a franchise, but not so much finishing it. Doesn't matter what it is. Uh, he's great at starting and rebooting stuff, but not necessarily finishing it off. J.J. has always sucked endings. Zack Snyder, his bubble is visually gorgeous, but pessimistic movies. I think some of his best are the ones that don't require a lot of optimism and kind of live in this grimy, gritty world. I really actually like his Watchmen. I know some people have issues with it. Watchmen as a comic is very hard to adapt, and I feel like for the most part, he did it pretty well, except for those times we talk about with the spectacle of Watchmen is supposed to be very 
doesn't glorify violence, where Zack Snyder loves violence. I think that's one of my only real gripes with Watchmen is the over-glorification of violence sometimes. Uh, but I actually really like his Watchmen because these characters are allowed to be bleak and drab while still existing in the superhero world. Uh, I remember the 300 phase when we were in junior high. I had no interest in seeing 300 whatsoever. Um, it just didn't register for me and having seen it a few times now it still doesn't really register for me um the other ones that i do like of Zack snyder's though do exist in that grimy dingy world like watchmen but also uh dawn of the dead we don't often talk about dawn of the dead as much nowadays but do you realize how hard it is to do horror remakes well especially to one such beloved as the george a romero movie and a lot of people myself included really like his approach for dawn of the dead it, he didn't try to do the original but also he's allowed to live in a dark world i was actually talking to a co-worker about this earlier today i actually would not mind the idea of Zack snyder doing the last of us because Zack snyder's ideology that he puts into movies would fit really well for last of us of he typically has a lot of bleak and drab color palette except when he turns the saturation all the way up it's one or the other he has very much extremes in his style it's either very dark and bleak not just uh thematically but actually visually or ridiculously over the top um typically some yellowish gold like we've gotten in the snyder cut trailer but also sucker punch had that Watchmen had that he really likes yep. that like sunset look like we make fun of michael bay for his obsession with sunsets but Zack snyder is no stranger to it either um but you bring up the narrative issues i think Zack snyder would really really excel as a cinematographer when he he has issues i think at times with story and structure and a lot of the times this comes from adaptations he's like the king of adaptations 300 adaptation of a frank miller comic batman versus superman very much feels like an adaptation of a frank miller comic watchman adaptation of an alan moore comic uh man of steel is an adaptation of a couple different things um dawn of the dead is a remake he likes to adapt material but change it and put his own spin on it and i don't often think that that works because I think he'll visually look at what's on the page with a comic book and not really think about the story or narrative of, yeah, this is awesome to see on the comic book panel. Well, why was it awesome to see on a comic book panel besides the artwork was cool? There needs to be a, a narrative to that. Or maybe sometimes it doesn't. We don't we make fun of the narrative for Transformers, but I'll give credit for Michael Bay. Michael Bay knows what kind of narrative he's making. And I think Zack Snyder's kind of the same way, in which kind of, I'll make this, I'll spin this now to the positives that I have for Snyder as a filmmaker. He's unashamed of anything. He will go for it no matter what. You cannot deter him. And I'm actually super, super proud and impressed of that because he's got haters everywhere he turns uh, for people that don't like his style, this, that, or the other thing. I'm somewhere in the middle. I like his stuff. I hate some of his stuff. Um, it's hit or miss for me. But he's so resilient, especially in the face of tragedy that befell his family with the original Justice League. Um, he will just go for it and not really care. Um, some other positives, he's really visually, visually oriented. But also from everything that I've heard about the guy, I don't like his movies. 
but I think I would love working for him. Mm-hmm. No one has ever, ever said a single bad thing about Zack Snyder that I've ever seen in any interviews. There's a couple times in reports and interviews he comes across a little abrasive, but maybe that's because when you're making a movie, you get asked the same questions over and over and over again, and I'm sure that gets exhausting. Um, I don't think he's as bad of a filmmaker as he pointed out to be. I just think he has a very specific bubble that he really, really excels at. So he should probably stick to that. But at the same time, this is just one person's opinion and he's free to do whatever he wants. He's had commercially successful movies. And we'll kind of talk about that for the next section of this. Um, Good or bad, he has some form of energy to him that just draws people to him, whether that's positively or negatively. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But when you hear Zack Snyder, what positive aspects do you think he brings to the table as a filmmaker, Michael? Uh, dedication. You can tell that he, 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 I will say that he's passionate about his projects. You cannot say he's apathetic and just put stuff out there. Uh, I mean, the fact that he's, He's championing. He's championing for these particular projects. They're you know they're not really. I mean, you look at something like Dawn of the Dead, and then you look at Man of Steel, and you look at Watchmen. Those are three completely different feeling of films to different audiences in different different genres, basically. Because Watchmen, I know it's a comic book series, but after seeing just limited limited of scenes from that it is it's like a noir type of film that like i don't see a whole lot of people being able to pull off some of the visuals and just the storytelling and i like the fact he is dedicated i will echo the same thing you just said i bet he's really fun to work for when when you have a when you have a boss and they're passionate about what they do you will as an underling care more about what you do and mm-hmm. you will take your role more seriously, and that will trickle down. And, and think about it. We, we have not heard any clashes or stories out there that are controversial regarding Zack Snyder with his cast. You, you have nothing but good things being said by actors and the crew. But when it comes to maybe telling, again, the most cohesive story, that's where, again, you, you find the detractors. But you're not going to find somebody out there saying, well, you know, I just wish Zack Snyder cared. You could tell this guy's just in it for the money. That's not something that you see. And that's very rare in this particular business. And and so even if, even if that they makes a bad film, I'm still going to go see them. Like, there was no way I wasn't going to go see Dawn of Justice, even though, I, even though I still remember your reaction video to that, where you screamed when, uh, what what is the, what's the... Oh, oh yeah, when um, Doomsday showed up. And you were like, no, no! I, oh my gosh, I was laughing so hard at your reaction video to that. I, but there was no way you and I weren't going to go see it, right? And at the end of the day, this guy's a human being doing a job, and he employs a lot of people, and he he has his vision, he achieves that vision, and he doesn't apologize for it. And as a man, and as some of you who do your work, I have to respect that. So that that's ultimately it's the authenticity and passion that that is I think naturally attractive to somebody in that position. And with that passion, like he really draws people in and he draws people in both positively and negatively. Um 
there's always this debate. Just say Zack Snyder. He's in the same boat kind of like as a Ryan Johnson of just say the name and people will immediately start butting heads and refuse to see the other side at all. Yep. Like to me, Ryan Johnson is a fantastic filmmaker, but a poor Star Wars storyteller. I didn't like Last Jedi, but I love Knives Out. I thought it was the best movie of 2019. Zack Snyder weak in some areas but i really love some of his other stuff like i still to this day love man of steel and we'll watch it every couple months he has this divide of people either really really love it or will so adamantly shut down anything that he's even remotely attached to why do you think he more so than any other director that i've ever seen why do you think he has such this divide michael well because he's covering content that the fans are already divided over I mean, mm. think you think about mm. you think about the he's not trying to make a romantic comedy, he's not trying to make a just a dumb action spy movie. He's okay. He's in the horror genre, touch and remaking a beloved film, and it's a cult classic. And the more you go into these specific genres, the more like particular the fan bases are, before and for good reason, not for bad reasons, but for good reasons. Uh, you touch Superman. You're going to get some, hey, you throw in Batman, you are throwing yourself to the wolves. No matter if you make the best Batman film of all time, you're still going to have people fighting over it. So he's picking these battles, uh, and he has to know what he's getting himself into. Now, he just happens to be passionate about these things. Can't fault the guy for it, but it's hard for me to have compassion on somebody who is like, you're sticking your hand in the fire, and now you're complaining about being burned. And But that's the thing. He doesn't ever complain. That he he does he's not saying I just don't understand why the fans are this way. No, I, I think because he himself is one, he understands the divide. But it's because the fans are already divided. It's not like the, everyone was singing Kumbaya and then Zack Snyder showed up on on the scene. No, he just gave him another thing to talk about. And in fact, he made him relevant again. He took a lot of people, and I'm, I'm not saying from the fact that we never would have gotten, assuming certain things in Batman and Superman film. But let me ask you this, Nate. Prior to 2016, or I guess the arrival on scene of Man of Steel, did you ever think you would see the Batman and Superman fight play out on the big screen? If Avengers had not come out, no. But since Avengers had come out, I think if Zack Snyder had not done Batman vs. Superman, it would have eventually happened regardless because Warner Brothers, I think, would still be looking at the success of Disney going, okay, we need a crossover here. Um, I think Zack Snyder is so either loved or hated because I'll be the first to admit this. When it comes to comic book fans or movie fans, we are very possessive of specific things that we love. We feel like this, how I like it, is how it should be and how it needs to be. Case in point, uh, Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. That is a very different Superman than what we got before with like the Christopher Reeves or the Brandon Routh. It's very much its own thing, and that turned a lot of people off because they're going, well, that's not how I know it to be. And I'll be the first to admit, that's happened to me before. I don't like Batman versus Superman because... To me, that's not how I read the characters. That's not how I know them to be. Batman doesn't kill. Superman's always hopeful and optimistic. But this that's my way of viewing these characters. And I think part of the issue that people have, positively or negative, with Zack Snyder is they're very possessive 
of their ideas of how certain characters should be and when that differentiates they get mad but the thing is and i need to remind myself of this from time to time is we don't own these characters Zack Snyder doesn't own these characters. These characters have existed long before us, and they'll exist long after us. Um, and this will uh, go into something that I'll talk about. I was going to talk about later, but I could talk about it now. I think the biggest issue with Zack Snyder has nothing to do with him, believe it or not. I just think he was a few years too early to the DC Universe. And what I mean by that is we're entering into this new what I believe to be a new age of comic book movies of everything will soon be fair game with WandaVision seemingly introducing a multiverse, the flash seeming introducing a multiverse. I think had Zack Snyder come out just a few years later in the era that we're living in now, more people would be accepting of it because they'd be like, well, this is just a different version of these characters that we know but when he first started doing the dc projects with man of steel and the batman versus superman if you were a dc fan this was your only movie to see this was your only thing it's like if you go to a buffet but they're only serving one food item and you don't like that food you're not going to be too happy but if it's a buffet with a whole bunch of different options you're going to be you're not going to be as mad at the one food that you don't like. You'll just not eat that food. But if you're still hungry, you have no choice but to eat that food. And that's kind of how I view the early days of the DC fandom. We only had the stuff that Snyder was churning out. And if you weren't a big fan of that direction, which some uh, about half the fan base wasn't, it's about 50-50 split, yeah. um, you're not going to be happy because you're hungry for DC content, but you're not happy with what you're being served. Whereas if it's a buffet, like it is now, you've got Shazam, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Birds of Prey, which are all radically different movies. I think if Zack Snyder started now, there'd be a lot less hate because there's a lot more options to choose from. And I don't know if his style is necessarily my style, but I don't think I'd be nearly as mad if this happened, if he started doing stuff now because there's other stuff to look forward to or maybe this is an Elseworlds story and he says that off the bat because Elseworlds are very hot right now I can I've always thought Zack Snyder would be perfect for an Injustice universe which has like Superman as the main bad guy and like some of the heroes are evil some of the heroes are good that's right up his alley and I think he would be great at that but he was tasked by Warner Brothers to be the guy to do all the DC stuff and it seemed like he was very set and I admire him for this. He was very set on his five-film arc. Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Justice League 1, 2, and 3. That would have its whole, whole arc. Um, but that wasn't really what Warner Brothers wanted. Snyder was doing the self-contained story, and Warner Brothers wanted a universe. And I applaud him for wanting to do a narrative. But at the same time, I get Warner Brothers' position of, we desperately need to catch up with Marvel and their expansive amount of characters here. Um... So I think Snyder was just a few years too early of, I want this really unique and dark take. Unique and dark is popular now because people have other options. DC is doing a whole bunch of different options. So I think, yeah, if he started now, it'd be a whole different story. Do you see it any differently, Michael? Yeah, it was like always the antithesis DC was to Marvel. And it's just not the right time. And just like comics, like comics didn't start out like postmodern, gothic, incredibly dark, 
And it's like, and we're going to start out with the death of Superman as our Superman, first Superman uh, comic. Uh, no, that's not how you start a story and introduce people into a new genre. And, and so, like, how, how I saw this was like, okay, if you're a kid, you like, you like Marvel, but if you're an adult, you love DC films. It's yeah, like, I've always hated that yeah, argument. Yeah, I've always it's hated like, that. wait a minute, but the Marvel films are the ones that are told better. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, you have to be an adult with a kid's mind to enjoy the DC films, right? And that was like the critique back and forth. So they were trying to deal with more mature themes but had no idea what they were trying. Like there wasn't a plan. Can we just say there wasn't necessarily a plan? It was trying to say let's get out in front of this thing. And it, it, yeah. I don't know. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like there was a plan at all. And It's, I think why, that's it's why Man of Steel is my favorite of – of his DC movies because he can say that he had this whole story arc from the get-go. I don't buy that for a second, at least at the time of Man of Steel coming out. Because when Man of Steel came out, that doesn't tease or set up future movies. It is a self-contained Superman movie. I think after Superman hit theaters and they're starting to plan what should the next movie be, that's when he starts planning out his five-movie arc. Because Man of Steel feels very self-contained and fine, for the most part, I think there's some pacing issues, but the wheels really started to come off and come off fast, at least for me with Batman vs. Superman. And I feel like, I don't know how much of that was him or how much of that was the studio going, we need to expand our universe quickly. And I believe I've had this conversation with Josh before of just some of the decisions don't always resonate, especially with me, of he wants to tell this story, but you're choosing really, really odd ways of going about it. Like, Batman... You're starting at the end of Batman's story when he's old. He has He's a very different Batman. You're starting at the end of his story instead of the middle. Superman. You're starting at the beginning of Superman's story, which I kind of know Superman and, Superman and Batman to be about the same age, so that way they can have years of stories together. But then you kill Superman. There's a lot of interesting choices, but I applaud his boldness at any given moment. Um even if I think he goes way over the top with the religious imagery, which this is coming from someone that actually most of the time likes the Superman uh, allegory because Superman is Jesus. He really, really is marrying Joseph, Martha, and Jonathan. His name is literally Voice of God, Kal-El, um, written by two Jewish writers. Um Zack Snyder kind of beats it over your head, though, at times, going, do you get it? Do you get it? He was 33 when he died. Um, it's... I just think he would do much better nowadays. And also, if him and Warner Brothers were on the same page from the get-go of, okay, I'm doing my own thing. Think of Zack Snyder's, like, the Dark Knight trilogy. It's not going to lead to other separate franchises. It's going to tell its own self-contained story. Whereas Warner Brothers, I felt like, wanted it to be their Iron Man that set up everything else. Whereas I get the impression that Snyder never wanted that. He wanted the creative freedom to tell his narrative. And I feel like if they were on the same page from the get-go, then they could say, okay, here's your universe. We'll start our own separate one that will be spawned off into other things. That's why Aquaman barely mentions... um, Batman vs. Superman or Justice League, why Wonder Woman doesn't mention anything at all, why Shazam doesn't mention anything at all. I feel like they should have just set Snyder's in his own universe and then given him full creative freedom. And I think I'd be more okay with that because I know 
it's its own pocket universe, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it, I think that's that was the beauty of Man of Steel, is that it didn't. It seemed like it was there was only one superhero in the world, and that this was the only thing that ever existed. It was like it was like Iron Man, but if Iron Man was the only thing. And I think that's what I enjoyed about it. it. It was more simple than anything else. Again, I think there were some weaknesses with Man of Steel, but what he was trying to set up, I think, is good. I actually don't think it's a bad introduction. Uh, I, no. I, still, I think it's I, a great I, zero-year Superman. Like, he's not Superman yet. Yeah. And I wish they would have leaned more into that. Not, like, necessarily gone like Smallville, but, you know, you and I are, like, the same thing. Like, I don't like – I like the build-up and the discovery of the powers – and the how do I keep my a secret identity? Uh, that I love more than the actual being the hero themselves because that's that, it's an adventure that you get to go on with the character themselves as they learn. And I that's why I liked part of the Man of Steel. That's why I liked the trailers where he's kind of just lost. He's just trying to figure out who he is. He's he knows he has these abilities, but he's trying to to piece his life together. And I really thought that humanized the character better than any other particular film did it it kind of made it more relatable it's like the everyday working man who happens to be an alien god and is struggling to you know use his powers while not being so overt that people find out who he is so that's my best that's my favorite part of, of man of steel so yeah man that this is the reason why this is going to cause a lot of divisiveness is not, and again, I'll just repeat, it's not because he is necessarily divisive. It's that the content begs for disagreement. And I think that's okay. I mm-hmm. just, I hope people like you said, understand we're not the ones in charge and we've never been the ones in charge. We've always been responding to an external stimuli in this particular case. And like you, you put the nail right on the head is that our version, our head cannon can sometimes get in the way of us being fair because let's say it was us and we were the ones responsible. If our head cannon was the law, someone else would come and say, why did you do that? Why? Like you don't respect the character. Like, why didn't you consider this? And we would be just as maybe defensive or just as vindictive. And I'm just asking maybe as movie fans, we can be a little more gracious to the filmmakers because they're the ones in the hot seat and it's not us. Completely agree. Um, now, last thing I wanted to talk about, and then we'll kind of bring it home, is kind of the biggest thing of the Snyder Cut and Jack Zack Snyder's version of Justice League has just taken on a life of its own and just grown and grown ever since the 2017 movie came out. And it's gotten this, like, groundswell of support, the likes of which I've never seen before for a movie. Yeah. Why do you think there was such this big resonance and call to action for this uh snyder cut uh good or bad uh it's just unprecedented before i hate that word now after 2020 but why what do you think has caused this what led up to it what what do you make of this whole snyder cut situation with justice league well i I think it's a shift in our culture towards authenticity and that's in every realm when it comes to the media personal lives and when it comes to things like, hey, does this exist? And somebody says, yeah, it does exist. You're like, well, why why can't we see it? And it's like, well, you know, because there's copyright laws and there's there's a bunch of reasons. And we're like, okay, so 
you know, realize if it's a money thing, we can make money on this probably, we would, we would be willing to pay for it. And in fact, they're going to find out how much people are willing are going to pay for it. I honestly think, by the way, if this works, and it just also happens to be four hours, and this makes a profit, I think this is, could potentially be a new domino effect, not just with like director's cuts, but this might be an additional media content narrative shift, paradigm shift, if you will, if this works. Uh, but the reason why I think is because of this account of, not accountability per se, but it's authenticity with creative direction. And when you have a guy who exited a project because of just such a horrible reasons, new person comes in, there's like, well, are they erasing what this person said? Like basically where ideas like the director didn't get a chance to tell his story and we didn't really like the movie to begin with and we could tell which was reshot and which wasn't. So we're like, I wonder if the grass is greener. So you have the curiosity, you have the cry for authenticity and you have a guy who, once again, is passionate about his material. So I don't – this is like a perfect storm of of a genre that is becoming increasingly – I mean, flooded. It's flooding the market with content but also a lot of money. And then it's also a very important character and a beloved source material, being beloved beyond belief. And then you help so happen to have someone, given the circumstance, did not, we know, did not get an opportunity to tell his story. We all want to see that happen. I think it's just a, it's a perfect storm. Perfect storm. Yeah, I think it, like you said, it's a combination of a lot of different things. I think it comes with, um, at, I think at first, I don't think it's the case now. I think at first it was just a very vocal minority when um, Justice League, how it actually came out. We're raising their voices, but I think over time that vocal minority became a bigger and bigger and louder group to the point that I don't know if they're the vocal minority anymore. And um, it just grew to this groundswell of support, which is awesome for them because as much as I get annoyed with Snyder Cut fans at times because they can be kind of bullies and they only want to see things one way, they've also done a lot of good. They raised a lot of money for suicide awareness. Um, they've done a lot of great work and i will never discredit that i think a lot of it comes from the frustration of they go we really liked Zack snyder and then you got rid of him because i'll always say Zack snyder did not leave justice league i think he was fired which Mm. i think they used the death of his daughter as an excuse to fire him which is awful but i don't rule that out with warner brothers um, and then the movie that we got, a lot of people were mad. So I think they were just like, you fixed something. You broke something that wasn't, you broke something and we want it fixed. Now, there are some people, myself included, that actually like the Justice League that we got. But then again, I don't look at Justice League 2017 as a sequel to Batman vs. Superman or Man of Steel. I always just kind of look at Justice League as its own standalone movie because it has nothing to do with those other two movies. Um, and I get more enjoyment out of that. That being said, it is not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination. And I think at the end of the day, this will be a better movie and more cohesively in line with the first two. I think people want the Snyder Cut out of that frustration of love of the Justice League characters and want it to <laughs> get justice um, for the characters, but also for Snyder for this tragedy and um, 
the story is personal to him and not getting it finished out and see it through to completion i think really hurts um i i only hope that this doesn't set a precedent of fans demanding something and studios caving because as much as we bag on studios there are reasons that studios are in the position that they're in um yeah like this could pay off really well for fans i don't want it to be the norm that fans dictate what we get just because i i think that's an unhealthy amount of power if used correctly that power can be used for good, like we've seen with the Snyder Cut fans. It's just that's not the norm. And there's been some good things with the Snyder Cut. There's been some bad things with how people have treated on both sides. There's been bullies um, for the Snyder Cut fans. There's been bullies in the Snyder Cut fandom. Um, I just think I'm always wary about fans having too much power. That being said, I applaud the work that's been gone, that's went into the Snyder Cut of... Okay, we're not going to get our five-story arc anymore, but at least we can finish out this trilogy for him and get Snyder some form of closure before he moves on to other studios because I yeah. feel like he will be. I don't think Warner Bros. has any interest in working with him, and I don't think he has any interest in working with them. And they keep saying it's a cul-de-sac of storytelling, and I kind of agree to the extent of I don't think Snyder ever meant for this to be like Marvel and that it could theoretically go on forever and keep adding and adding and adding i think his storyline i think his storyline had a definitive ending and i think that's what they mean by cul-de-sac like um it's not something that warner brothers can blow up into a larger universe and i think snyder himself would tell you that that's not a bad thing the dark knight was never intended to spawn a massive franchise but it's still a good self-contained story and i think that's kind of what snyder was going for um I think people get caught up with the visuals of they're just like, this is the Batman and we always know and love. It's like because the suit is accurate and he's got the tank from the Dark Knight Returns. Snyder excels at aesthetics being perfect. And I think people really, really latch on to that. They always latch on more so with the visuals because that's what they've seen. Comic book fans and movie fans in general latch on to what they've seen and what they know from previous experience before testing something new to them. Um, so I think there's a lot of factors when it comes to the Snyder Cut of how we got to the point that we're at. At the end of the day, I think this is a good thing, but I'm still cautious. Not for the movie itself. I think I will like parts of it and not like other parts of it. So basically what Snyder's DC has been. I'm just wary of the future of the fan and studio interaction going forward because of this. Yeah, I I'll double down. I think I want to say, I think actually this will cause a domino effect uh, for better, for worse. But I think it's particularly in this case, considering what you just talked about with his daughter and uh, the, and the firing it, something didn't sit well with fans and this is our dawn of justice. I think that's what people believe it to be. This is a, a part of the Justice League is having justice for Snyder and giving him closure and rewarding him with that, even if we don't necessarily like the end product. We just there are there are I know there are people out there that we talked about it at the time that were like, This is really dirty, this is really shady. Like he's going through something incredibly personal and then leaves and it, like there's something more here. And I think fans really kind of latched onto that and we're like, no, we want to stand by this guy. This is our guy for this very purpose. We want to see it through. Don't give him two and a half things. Give him full 
three methods of storytelling, three means of storytelling, and then we can be done. But don't cut him cut his knees out right right at the end. I think I think that is I, from a human level. I think that's what's driving this. This why, and maybe and maybe that's why it won't start a domino effect because maybe not every particular story will have this type of personal aspect to it. But I I'm truly convinced that's part of it. And just kind of in closing, I don't think Zack Snyder has always or even will always be a divisive filmmaker it was only really his stuff with dc like i think uh once he's done with the dc universe because at some point even if he makes his justice league two and three which i don't think will ever happen even if he makes more dc movies there will be a day that he moves on to other things i think when that day happens i think the anger and vitriol towards him and his movies will die down because people won't be as emotionally invested in the characters that he's portraying on screen because Superman means a lot to a lot of people and you have to it's such a fine line like I like what he did with Man of Steel but I know there's a lot of people that didn't and I get that it's that possessiveness and I feel like if he's making his own movies people won't be as attached to that of going it needs to be this way and he'll have more creative freedom in that sense so in that sense I don't want her to do more DC stuff because I feel like it would be less stress on him. He could probably breathe easier going, okay, I've got this original idea. Like, uh, was it uh, Army of the Dead? His Netflix movie coming out uh, later this year. I'm sure he had a heck of a time with that because he had more freedom to do whatever he wanted to do. So I kind of hope he moves on from the DCEU, not just because it's not particular stuff that I've enjoyed, but also... It's you can try other things out there. Like as much as I like certain directors that do horror, I like when directors that I know and love try different things. And I kind of hope that's what's in store for him. Not because I don't like his stuff, but because when he tries things outside of his bubble, sometimes they're not too bad. Um, No one talks anymore about one of his ones that's actually better because it doesn't feel like his. Um, Was it? Uh, Legends of the Guardians, Owls of Gahul. Yeah, yeah. Like, that actually doesn't feel like a Snyder movie. I kind of want him to try that again. Maybe that's just me, but I feel like once you leave the DCEU, or just leave superhero movies in general, you can kind of breathe that sigh of relief again because the pressure and expectations is off. Both angry fanboys and fanboys that fawn over everything you do. You don't have to appease them anymore. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, he's, he's in a box regardless. Um, creatively, you're you're only allowed to do certain things because of the sakes of the character. And I'm excited. I, honestly, I wish him nothing but the best. I, I honestly hope this is a, is a success because uh, I didn't really like Justice League. Now I don't know if we need a four hour version of it, but it, it automatically looks more interesting to me than Justice League as we know it right now. Uh, hopefully that will change and i hope that you can get through that four hours and recommend it to me and hey you know king arthur bring it on i i mean would you would you right now without seeing a trailer or anything cast whatever would you go see a king arthur uh directed uh directed by Zack snyder 
Unfortunately, I'm that much of a shill for anything King Arthur or Robin Hood that you could say Uwe Boll is directing a King Arthur, and I would unfortunately probably be there hoping that it would be good. But yeah, if um if you told me Zack Snyder's doing a King Arthur movie, I think I probably would be there opening weekend, not even seeing any trailer or anything, just because I have that expectation that even no matter what, good or bad he will always do something that no other director will do. And that's just make a Snyder movie, love it or hate it. It is its own thing. And I will always applaud him for that. It's always so different than everything else we've seen. So who knows? King Arthur could be a good choice for him. I'm not sure, but yeah, he, he's got his own unique style and I'm, I applaud him for that. It might not always be my style, but when it re- hits, I think he's really good at it. And I I kind of do want him to move on from the e- DCEU just so he can do more creative stuff. Like, I don't want to compare him to Shyamalan because I think he's a better director than Shyamalan. But after he had several big box office flops, Shyamalan did small-scale stuff with Split and um, The Visit. And they were great. They were fresh and new for him. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're getting into that with Snyder, moving away from what he's been established with comic book movies to trying something different. But maybe that's just one fan's hope. I think it's founded. I think it's grounded in a reality that I think is very possible. And much like you, uh, I, I, I want to be positive about these very things. I think there's cause for it. So when it comes to, I guess, King Arthur, who's not a shill, I, I'll look forward to it. I, I do not boycott Zack Snyder movies. I, nope. I just know there, there are certain particular content, you know, just because of rating and, like, actual content in them, I just will not see. And that has nothing to do with the, the um, let's see, the, the quality. It's just that I, I, have a, I have a set of standards I want to abide by personally. So for me, man, like, I, I want to keep talking about it. Because I think it's good for the movie industry as a whole. I, I think he adds to it, and he keeps the discussion going. And ultimately, like for this podcast, it's it's creating waves for people to continue to talk about these hobbies. Like I think that's good. You having people talk about these types of source materials and films. That's what you want from all of this. I mean, the last thing you want is people saying I don't care or not not being interested, and that is not what you get from Zack Snyder. He makes you interested whether you like him or not. Completely agree. Um, well, what do you guys think? What are your thoughts on Zack Snyder? Are you a fan? Are you not? What are some movies that you do like of his, and what are your general thoughts? Let us know in the comments below. What is like hearing from you guys? And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.